that fall is here. And what a treat it is. We are beginning a new four-week series entitled The Blessing It Is. And the gist of the entire series is to remind us and remind us that the power of thanksgiving is transformative and that it's filled with grace and peace and power. So let's begin today with our scripture lesson found in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Bless, O Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. O Lord, our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. One night, B.J. Miller, who was a sophomore in college at the time, just back from Thanksgiving holiday, was out horsing around with some of his friends, and they decided to climb atop a parked commuter train, you know, the kind with the wires overhead. Somehow it seemed a good idea at the time. They had certainly done stupider things. He scurried up the ladder on the back, and when he stood up, the electrical current entered his arm, blew down and out his feet, and that was it. He lost both legs and an arm. And that night began his long ordeal as a patient, one who suffers. That's what patient means. Miller says this, now the American healthcare system has more than its fair share of dysfunction to match its brilliance, to be sure. I am a physician now, a hospice and palliative care medicine doctor. So I've seen both sides of care. And believe me, 
almost everyone who enters health care really means well. I mean truly. But we who work in it are also unwitting agents for a system that too often does not serve. Why? Well, there's actually a pretty easy answer to that question, and it explains a lot. Because health care was designed with diseases, not people, as the center. Which is, of course, to say it was badly designed. End quote. From Miller's perspective, the person who is suffering heals best when someone stands with them. Someone who is willing to enter your life and not just your dis-ease. For him, that's where real healing happens. Miller remembers a night when it began to snow outside when he was recovering. The nurses were complaining about having to drive through it. He was on the burn unit at the time, and there were no windows. But he had great fun imagining it coming down all thick and sticky. The next day, one of the nurses smuggled in a snowball into the unit. I cannot tell you, he says, the rapture I felt holding that snowball in my hand, the coldness dripping onto my burning skin, the miracle of it all, the fascination I felt as I watched it melt and turn into water. He said, that little snowball packed all the inspiration I needed to both live and to be okay if I didn't. In a hospital, that's a stolen moment. One caring woman who saw him made it happen, and his heart was filled with thanks. And in that one caring moment, there's no mistaking it, he was made new. Our scripture lesson this morning deals with one who was made new. Leprosy was considered not only highly contagious once it was diagnosed, one was forced to leave family and community, made to beg for food and the basic needs of life. Ten poor souls cried out to Jesus for mercy, needing healing, and Jesus doesn't hesitate. He tells them to show themselves before the priest before the priest, not a doctor. A priest most certainly would certify them and return them to their families. On their way, just as they were told to do, one of them realizes what's happened in him. 
a Samaritan at that, recognizes he's healed and he turns running, shouting at the top of his lungs, falling at Jesus' feet and praising God. Jesus tells him to get up and go on home. His faith has made him well. If Dr. Miller's perspective is right, a person's suffering heals best when someone stands with them and sees them. When someone enters their life and not just their disease, if that is when the real healing happens, then the Samaritan has just discovered a wellness beyond health. If the story had stopped there, we might just be able to hold it in the heart of our story. And then, oh, and then there's that pesky question. What about those nine? Well, Jesus, of course Jesus would heal all ten of them without question or differentiation or requirement. He didn't ask for them to repent. No suitable reason for offering mercy was offered. They needed help, and he did it. One, just one, said thank you. Don't yet think the nine could take a minute and offer a word of appreciation and thanks? The first inclination of Luke's audience is to sneer. Well, where are those nine? An ungrateful lot, don't you think? There's no difficulty in turning our noses up at them for their lack of gratitude. And just in case we imagine seeing the Samaritan as the hero of this story, don't. All Judea would have been happy to roll their eyes and dismiss him as unworthy, regardless of his thanks. Why? It's because what we, it's what we do. Just so much easier in our bones to judge the nine who didn't return to give thanks than it is to ask If we were in the same boat, would we have stopped and returned to give thanks? Would we have done exactly what Jesus told us and head off to the priest and miss the real healing that was right in front of us? Well, maybe. Martin Bell, in an old favored book, The Way of the Wolf, Ask this, well, how about a word or two on behalf of the nine who didn't return to give thanks? Ten were cleansed, and one of them, just one, when he saw what Jesus had done, fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks. Jesus asked, weren't there ten? Where are the nine? 
Well, it's simple, really. One of them was scared to death. Jesus frightened him. The second was offended because he hadn't been required to do anything to earn this healing. He'd not prayed, washed, or done anything righteous. It was just too common. The third realized too late that he hadn't wanted to be healed. You see, leprosy had begun to define his life, and he didn't know who he was anymore. The fourth didn't return because in his delirium of joy, he simply forgot. He was so happy, he forgot. The fifth didn't say thank you to anyone anymore for anything. There's something that happens within one's soul who is forced to beg and plead for the meagerest of coins tossed with disdain and expected to say thank you. He wasn't going to say thank you to anyone, not even to Jesus. The sixth was a woman She had been away from her family for 11 years, and she was running like a crazy woman to get home to love and hold her family, her husband and her children. The seventh didn't believe that the healing had anything to do with Jesus. There had to be a perfectly reasonable explanation No hocus-pocus, no magic was taking place here. He didn't know how, but he knew it couldn't be Jesus. The eighth didn't return precisely because he did believe that Jesus had done it. And the kingdom was already here, and so he ran to publish the news. The ninth? It's really impossible to know. He had this new fire in his eyes and this power all about him. Hard to say why he didn't come back. So what would we know? That God doesn't heal people and then get all hurt and stand around pouting when we don't turn around and give thanks. But you already know that. That for Jesus, healing ten was the need that he saw, and he would have done nothing differently. Whether they said thanks or not, and you know that too. So what about this one? What made him see the gift, receive it, and do so with a thankful heart? And that act of giving thanks would change his life. It would give it new meaning, new value, new significance, new opportunity. It saved his life much more than making him well. He's the one who understood the blessing it was to give thanks. 
Writ large in our text is this wonderful power connection between Jesus and the Samaritan, the offering of grace and the response of a grateful heart, and how that combination, when it comes together, changes our lives. If it's true that the person who is suffering heals best when someone stands with them, then the light has gone on for our Samaritan, and maybe even for us. Luke implies that something more than healing has happened to this leper because he says, your faith has saved you, or your faith has made you well. He's been saved in contrast to the nine who have simply experienced healing. And therein lies a huge difference. The leper's gratitude is a response to his new healing and saving relationship with Christ. Richard Rohr would say it like this, if you are truly saved, meaning living, loved, and living, liberated, made well, then your faith has given you the ability to see God's luminous presence everywhere that you are. And as a result, you are more alive than ever and living in the power of the mystery. Giving thanks leaves guilt and shame in the dust, recentering our lives so that what finally motivates our spiritual life is gratitude. Never fear, never judgment. To live in that grateful, thankful relationship is to have been healed and to have now the new ability to stand in the gap for the healing of others. Doesn't that give tremendous meaning to what it means to love God and to love others and out of that gratitude to be ready to serve the world? Watch this little clip from Brene Brown on empathy. So what is empathy? And why is it very different from sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's, in, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions, where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space where someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, I'm down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, huh? Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Uh, empathy is a 
order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had it, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around. So I had a miscarriage. At least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Having known the love of God, having praised God for these gifts, sharing in that mutual fellowship, mutual dependence, mutual honor, mutual submission, having authentic community. What we come away with is an, a, an organic extension or the DNA of Christ within us for each other. Now, why do I say that? It's because gratitude is that sacred space, the vulnerable choice that won't leave others alone in their pain, knowing a person heals best when another stands with them. This past Friday night, a group of us went to the Ohio Reformatory for Women on Friday night for an Embark event. Embark is a program designed to help inmates prepare for their return to society. It's nine months of classes and partnering with individuals from the outside and, and becoming volunteer uh, mentors for those within. What was fun is that an inmate sat at the table with each of our tables. Near the end of the evening, one of the most joyful, inspiring women you could imagine spoke about the day new prisoners come in. She said, your hands are in cuffs, your feet are in shackles, and they're all bound together with a chain about your belt. They unlock it all, and those chains hit the floor in a clatter. Then you're taken into a room and stripped of everything and then dressed again and taken to the receiving room. She says they arrive broken. Now understand the person who is speaking has already done 30 years, 30 years of a 150-year sentence. Just take that one in for a second. When they arrive in that receiving room, she says, 
They are without the healing presence of Jesus and the support that they need to survive prison. And we're there as the hands and feet of Christ. There is someone who comes in to say to you, to tell you with expressions of compassion, to offer you support, to tell you that you're still loved and surrounded by a community of faith and that you are not alone. Behind bars, these kairos and embark inmates offer expressions of their deepest trust in God. Their faith has made them well. Their outlook and direction has changed, whether they're ever going to get out or not. They are free, much freer than I dare say the average bear. Practicing gratitude. Their faith has changed their lives and their outlook. Oh, how they love God. The woman sitting at our table wept half the evening out of pure joy. Practicing gratitude, their faith has changed their lives their outlook, their direction. Now understand, it was a whole room full of Samaritans praising God, daily giving thanks. Oh, how they love God. They love each other, and they are changing a prison. You've never heard such thanksgiving and praise behind locked door after locked door, razor wire and electric fencing. It was a stolen moment in a hospital slash prison. There was a whole lot of worshiping going on and yesterday in reflection, I couldn't help wondering Had I turned around long enough to go back and give thanks? It's just such a blessing to do that. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, if we could count our blessings, if we would, daily, regularly, with our whole hearts, surely we would see and know you in a different way. And maybe for the first time in our lives, we would know what freedom and joy really looks like. In the name of our Christ, thank you, and amen. Would you rise and join in our closing hymn?